0: managing uh, our animals is, is eerily similar to managing, managing the staff.
1: Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my safari. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the podcast that is currently being recorded in my Target jammies featuring African animals and Santa hats, the Safari podcast. And yes, I got a matching set for Zoe and she's wearing them too. And one for Red, one of my stuffed red pandas. And he's also wearing them. What? Why are you looking at me like that? Anyway, if you want to see pictures of animals that aren't stuffed and wearing pajamas that match mine, don't forget that Safari is available on Instagram and Facebook at Safari. I post daily pics and frequently add to my story, including a ton of stuff that pertains to each episode on the days they drop. You can also listen to the pod, see my pics, and learn more about me at rasafari.com. Patreon.com slash is where to find ways to support the podcast and get cool stuff in return. And rossafari.redbubble.com is a great place to find merch for yourself. Finally, make sure you've clicked subscribe on your favorite podcast app, and if you're able, leave a five-star rating and maybe even a quick review. Thanks. Also, apparently you can leave a review and a rating on Facebook, so hey, do that if you want. It can't hurt, right? All right. Today, we are spending another day at the Nashville Zoo at Grassmere. this time with Nate Morris, the contact lead keeper. Nate is the lead keeper in the contact area of the zoo, meaning all of the non-ambassador collection animals that people are able to encounter around the zoo, such as the kangaroos in their walkthrough area. As a lead, Nate gets to focus on being a leader as well as training and taking care of the animals there. This episode focuses on a variety of things, from his leadership and training methods used, to discussions about some of the cool animals he cares for, including some adorably named porcupines, and a palm civet. Also, Zoe sat in on the interview, so I let her ask a couple questions at the end about the relationships between zoo vets and keepers. Then, I took the reins back to ask for a Rasafari poop story, and it does not disappoint. So, without further ado... Here is my interview with Nate Morris, the contact lead keeper at the Nashville Zoo at Grassmere.
0: All right, so tell me who you are, where we are, and what you do here. I am Nate Morris. I am the contact lead keeper for the Nashville Zoo. And what does contact lead keeper mean? Uh that's a good good loaded question. Um uh, The lead keeper in my mind is more of an assistant supervisor, mentor for the team, and then um, a supervisor for when the supervisor is out on our weekend and stuff like that. Running the contact areas, um, which are at the Nashville Zoo, any area that you can go in and interact with the animals as a guest. Okay. And does that include um, Ambassador as well, or is that a separate? That currently is a separate. So we do um, a lot of the walkthrough exhibits, so kangaroo um, and the critter encounter, and then the historic farm as well. Uh, We try to, um, over the past couple of years since I've been here, try to do more, um, you know, ambassador type things with our collection, but that's just what we do. Yeah, very cool,
1: very cool. So then um is your focus more on maybe training than a lot
0: of people would be? Uh mine personally, yes. Um as a team, we are very uh guest focused, very educational focused. Um uh, our routine, you know, is is taking care of the animals husbandry like everybody else, but then we also do that zoological education piece for most of the day, so it takes a lot of responsibility throughout the day. Um, but uh i i think training one of my is one of my passions enrichment's my passion the whole psychology of of the thing um so i kind of push and mentor my my staff to say this stuff is fun and this makes it easy easier to deal with the public if you're doing fun stuff like this
1: yeah makes sense very cool um all right so let's start off by talking about you a little bit so uh what
0: made you want to get into animals ah uh, Good question. Um uh, uh so early on um I'm from New England originally the greater Boston area. Um my family is originally from Maryland and my grandfather was a racehorse trainer. He uh, trained Sulky, the one with the that pulls the carts. And um every summer uh, my mother was a, a single parent, so she would send me down to uh, put me on an Amtrak train and send me down there, and I would spend the day with my grandfather watching him train all of these animals. And I thought that is the coolest thing I've ever seen. Um, uh, so uh, during the day, as you know, as a six-year-old, how much you can actually help on the farm. I would help him do stuff, and then during the at night, and then during the day, watch him do that kind of stuff. So I kind of fell into it early.
1: That's awesome, and did you uh pursue education with it then, or
0: yeah, um uh, I kind of took a roundabout way with that. Um, I did go to uh, Votech high School um, uh, which specializes in construction, um, and a lot of people go to this high school it 's called Blue Hills Regional um, in Canton, Massachusetts um a lot of people go to that school either learning a trade, knowing that they're not going to go to college um, or playing a sport to then get into college. Um, So I played um, a couple of sports, but mainly I was goalie for hockey. Um, And I got some um, uh, prospects after high school, which I took a year off to play um, in Germany. So at first I didn't go to school um, and I quit that career um, to to then go to college, so eventually I did get there. Nice, very <laughs> cool.
1: I, I was also late to college, um, yeah,
0: and, and then got a degree that I don't use. So hey, whatever, I mean, you know, yeah, yeah, like everybody else, yeah, like only that's the best people. Path. right? <laughs>
1: so, um, what what did you end up studying when you went to school?
0: Um, uh, originally it was uh, wildlife care and education. When I was there, it changed to captive wildlife care and education. Uh, I don't really know the difference um it's from unity college unfortunately is a college that doesn't exist anymore thanks to covid um and then i added a, a secondary major which was zoology um just because it was really only six other classes it was kind of easy nice Why very not? cool very yeah. cool and so what was your path after that then um uh, i uh, well a, a big part of my college years wasn't really at college cuz i took a year off to be in Germany and, you know, play a sport. So it was like this college life isn't for me. Um, I tried to get as many um, outside, um, outside credits as possible. So I didn't have to be there, Uh, especially in the, in the middle of Maine, it was hard to do. Uh, So I got um, some internships, externships um, and uh, full-time jobs at um, Franklin Park Zoo and Omaha so originally, those were seasonal positions that I was able to, um, with some begging and pleading from my professors, turn into 12 credits here, 15 credits there, all that kind of stuff, just doing extra projects. Um, so originally, I started as a keeper in 2007 in February um, at Franklin Park Zoo with their Children's Zoo. I'm not necessarily sure how that looks that zoo looks now. Um but we had my collection that I was responsible for was more leopards, um a walk through duck pond, coyotes, um red panda, muntjac. Uh it was called the miscellaneous routine because it was yeah. And it, it
1: still is there. It's still, I mean, there are some different animals. I don't think they have coyotes anymore. I go there yeah. fairly frequently, but yeah, that's still where the pandas are. Yeah. And then you, like you said, a walk through aviary mm-hmm. and frogs and turtles and just, yeah, all yeah. kinds of random stuff. A yeah.
0: very cool place to start. I, I worked with um, some very knowledgeable people. Um, Very, very good and good place to start. Nice. That's yeah.
1: cool. Um, so I'm curious. You said you were also at Omaha. And is that um, the Henry Dorley Henry Dorley, Dorley zoo. Yes. yes. Okay. So I have only been there once. Oh. But that is an amazing yeah. zoo. And I'm noticing that like Franklin Park is one of the smallest yes. zoos I've ever been to. And Henry
0: Dorley, you can get lost in for like a week.
1: Yeah. Um, so what did you find fit you
0: better? Um, uh, definitely the larger company. Um, fit me better the the larger company aspect, the feel. Not really talking about zookeeping in general. My personality does fit better in that large company um, structure. I guess is the nicest way to put it. Um, Omaha is massive. Uh, you can't do the entire thing in a day. And when I was when I worked there as a seasonal, uh, they didn't have the Madagascar exhibit yet. So okay. so now it's even another building you can spend all day in. Um. Uh, Franklin Park does have the two zoos, and, and like as a company, they split up. But as a keeper, you only see the one of them. Um, I worked the um, Desert Dome Nocturnal Nights on the Mammal Team um, at Henry Dorley. And still to this day, I'll say it to anybody, that was the coolest collection I've ever worked with in my entire life. Like Baby Fusa and everything like that. What is that? So. <laughs> yeah, that
1: um... – that zoo is is absolutely insane. Yeah, yeah, um, it is. Big fan, big fan. Yeah. So, um what before you got here, what were like tell me about one or two of your favorite animals that you worked with at at Franklin Park or at yeah. Henry Dorley?
0: Um uh, those two locations um were I was very open to uh just learning, just sitting back. I'm an observer more than anything else. Um uh, I really enjoyed Henry Dorley Zoo's overall collection and operation. Um I had a ton of trust at both places especially being so new. Um but Omaha the just species diversity being able to on one of my routines work with, you know, 250 brown bats and then do their water filtration system and then turn around and work with, you know, feed a geriatric tiger qual and stuff like that. So, uh, it, it's kind of hard to say a specific individual out in those, those locations. Um, especially when I was learning out, I was just still trying to figure out what, what worked best for me. Um, It wasn't until like later on in my career where I found like this animal is for me type stuff. Right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Um, So how
1: many years into your career was it before you kind of stopped feeling like just wide eyed wonder at like all of it? Oh, or do um, you still feel that? Because I know I still feel that with touring. I mean, I really do. I still every city I get to, I'm like, "Oh my gosh, I'm here. This is so cool."
0: Yeah. Um uh, I think I think uh, anybody can relate to um relate to this. The job that we have chosen to do as keepers is the coolest job that you can, that you can think of doing. Um, I still go like my girlfriend, I still talk about, um, she has to say, "Now that's enough animal facts. We don't need that, um, (laughs) with these friends, but, but I, I still get at times wide eyed and look how cool this animal is for no apparent reason whatsoever. Um, so I still get that. Um, obviously like life and stuff like that puts a, Today it's you know so hard to wake up because I know I have to deal with some other things that honestly doesn't have to do with animals at all. Um, but that's that's life and holding on to the positive aspects of our job. That's why I push and try to mentor my staff. It's like don't forget about the fun stuff because again you chose to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, then, um, did you have any
1: other stops on the way before you hit Nashville?
0: Uh, yes, um, I uh, um, didn't need. Thanks to Obamacare, didn't need um, insurance at the time before I was twenty six. So I um, stopped, and I was still taking classes at this time. So I, my season ended at Omaha. That was my second place, and I got a professional internship in education down at Disney. I thought, well, I've done the keeper thing. Let's let's try the other avenues of of this field. Um, so I was. Uh, uh, education presenter. I think it's called something different now. A wilderness Explorer at Disney now. Um, but I had the costume with the vest and, and the super ugly shorts. Um, <laughs> I didn't get to wear the ascot. Um, but, uh, but I had that position for, it was about eight months, um, at Disney. Um, just eight hours of educating the public. Uh, half of them want to know what you're talking about and super interested and in half of them art. Um, uh, Uh, got to meet some very cool people, have some more guest-interesting stories. Um, And then, I guess, a quick overview. I... That internship ended. I got a job at Natural Encounters Incorporated where I was a seasonal trainer with them. And that's when I started falling in love with actual training, free-flooded bird shows. I never worked in any of the shows, but I worked out at the ranch and that was like a full-on, this is hard work and this is all the expectations you have. So try to figure out how to do it. Um, and then from there, I I was a keeper at Disney for another five years. I split time um, on the day team. And then also, um, when they did their nighttime extravaganza, um, I was on the, a lead keeper for the same tree life Oasis team, but on third shift. And that was, uh, put this job into a very interesting perspective and it was very difficult. Um, and then I came, came to Nashville after that.
1: Okay, cool. Why was it, why was it difficult to be a third shift keeper?
0: I. Uh, well, my hours were 6 p.m. to 5 a.m. Um so that just in itself takes a special person all, all the people that can do that I I give you a lot of credit. Um I think I only lasted about 8 or 9 months at that job. Um it was um a, a brand new it wasn't a brand new team but it was a more different operation because the Disney was then open at till 11. Um, And Disney is a huge company. I said earlier, I like big companies. That place was too big. (laughs) Uh, It it was very good. Each team is very good at doing what it does individually. Um, When you have to partner with another team, that's kind of where it gets a little bit difficult. So as I am on the night team, supposed to be in charge of this specific area, I come in um at 6 park doesn't close till 11 i'm supposed to uh you know uh pick up where second shift left off in that team but they already closed all the animals down and there's nothing really to do but um the crocodiles in so if you want to pressure wash that barn um that's cool so it was a lot of um feeling like this isn't what i signed up for gotcha um but uh I did get to do a lot of um, like on there in the their Kilimanjaro safari ride work third shift and those animals are out all the time outside of the giraffe and and rhinos, um, so it was really cool to be free contact with, you know, safari animals at night because they act one hundred percent different than they do during the day. Oh wow, that's awesome! Yeah, uh, can you give me an example or uh, just tell a story? Yeah, um, so we had um, when we were testing all they have this giant. Ch- um, uh, TV that's supposed to simulate the sunset, and it really just makes it look like the uh, uh, trees are on fire. <laughs> but um, as we were testing for that, um, all of these lights that are supposed to simulate the sun going down, which those ones are pretty good, just noticing where all of the animals are, typically in a multi-species exhibit, we know that um, the species are going to stay together with their own species, but then separated with different species. Uh, at night, it, there's so much more intermingling mingling grazing with each other moving around a lot more than you really think they would huh. and just being high alert because they can't see very far so it was it was really cool just to see um see just how they operated differently just when the sun went down
1: Nice, that's very very cool. Um, I have one more question about Disney, and mm-hmm. then then we'll move on. Which is, um, I know that a lot of keepers get to really know their animals, and especially like you know even their Latin names and stuff. So, what is the genus and species of Mickey Mouse? <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. uh, it, well,
0: the word money would be in there somewhere.
1: <laughs> oh, I like that. That's good. All right, so I'm I'm a goober, but anyway, um, yeah. So moving on. So, um. Now you're at Nashville. Yes. And you work with an incredibly diverse group of animals. Yes. Um, and people. Yeah. Oh, fair. Fair. <laughs> uh, and uh, you also have a leadership role here. Yes. And I'm always fascinated um, as somebody who also I'm, – I'm music director and so I have, mm-hmm. I have a leadership role on tour and stuff um, – do you find that there's some overlap between how to take care of animals and how to take care of people in a
0: leadership role? (laughs) That's yes, 100%. Absolutely. (laughs) I can't even joke about that. Um, uh, Yeah. uh, To quote um, our VP says this all the time in, um, in a lot of our meetings, if you aren't using operant conditioning with these folks, you're failing. (laughs) So uh, it's, it is the same thing. Um, uh, Managing uh, our animals is, is, Eerily similar to managing managing the staff. Just one talks back more than the other does. <laughs> fair, fair, fair. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how COVID has
1: uh, impacted things for you.
0: Yeah, um, uh, we did uh, we did lose some some staff member to the furloughing, and I don't think I don't know what the uh, plan is for that later um, because. Our team is very guest focused. Um, It changed what our daily routine looks like a lot, especially when we first shut down. Um, uh, With the uncertainties and not knowing what to do, I think some of the time we had two people working every day where normally we have at least five. Um, So we weren't guest facing. So that kind of made it a little bit easier. It was just more grunt work and more training at that point, which a lot of times is more fun. but now that we're, I think, Kangaroo and Critter opened up early September when we had um, a Joey boom in our in our Kangaroo exhibit, where we have I think twelve Joey's right now. Uh, when we opened that up, and we still had you know five less less keepers, it did, um, it did make it a little bit more difficult to keep, difficult keeping up with those expectations. Um, so as a leader, try just trying to say. Um, to my staff and mentor them. Just do what you can. Don't stress out about it. No one is gonna fault you for that. There's a lot of things that you got to worry about, but just do what you can. Cut corners when you where you can. So it, it has kind of added stress um, uh, all around to us. Um, especially you know doubling our kangaroo population. <laughs> um, uh, that that'll definitely affect it. Um, and then losing some goats over the years or over the months and things like that. Yeah. It, it definitely has made it a little bit more difficult. Um, but then when the guests coming back, it just, you know, dumps that shit right in front of your face again. Yeah. No doubt, no <laughs> doubt. Um, so have you guys switched to doing more, um,
1: online stuff, educational zoom, all of that?
0: Yeah. Um, uh, the education department here does a lot of that and they do a really good job. um, and I'm not saying that just because I'm in their trailer, <laughs> uh, um, uh, they do a really good job of, of that type of outreach. Um, we're doing a lot more marketing, a lot more, um, uh, uh, TV spots, um, at Disney, um, on third shift, I did a lot of the VIP tours cause no one else wanted to. Um, so I'm fairly comfortable with doing that. Um, so, and my team isn't, so I tend to, you know, draw the short straw and do that. Um, and doing a lot of the, the TV things were a lot more than I ever thought I would have to do. You know, picking this job that oh, I'm an introvert, that I don't have to deal with people. Now that's because of COVID. That's all I'm doing. Um, uh, which is I, ironic since the effect for
1: most people has been that they're always with people, and now they're, and now not. they're not. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's that's amusing. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah,
1: that's that extroverted introverted deal, isn't it?
0: <laughs> but yeah, um. I've lost my train of thought.
1: No worries. So let me uh, let me find it for you. So we're talking about doing the uh, the videos and stuff. Yeah. Um. Now, what I'm curious about is so far we've been mostly talking the negatives of COVID, and like hmm. let's face it, there are a lot of them. People hmm. are dying, y'all. But like, also, do you find like so we got to go behind the scenes today. Yes. And I got to watch you mm-hmm. do a live classroom interaction with porcupines. Yes. Is there any way that those kids would have gotten? an inch away from a porcupine snoot if
0: there wasn't,
1: you know, the COVID thing.
0: No, absolutely not. And that's, that's one thing that, um, uh, trying to get the staff to understand. And then also to share our appreciation for the people that do actually still come to the park, um, responsibly, uh, is now that we are not, you know, in classrooms and learning zoos originally were here or, or switched their, their viewpoint. For education. Zoological education is how we are changing um, as an industry. It all starts with education, unfortunately, to quote Walt Disney. Uh, But um, (laughs) now that um, we we are more important than ever, seeing as we are not being able to be in classrooms or teaching these kids. So how you can do it responsibly is visit your zoos. Um, A lot of zoos are privately run, even governmentally run don't have a whole lot of money anyways, but that's what we do. So being able to educate um, via zoom or via Skype or via um, video um, or give those backstage tours to someone who, who wanted a personal relationship and build that relationship with animal and, and, and guests that, that is awesome and and we love being able to do that and i hope that's one thing that doesn't specifically go away because that is Super fun to do. As you can tell, I'm passionate by it. I can talk talk about that kind of stuff forever. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing we're on a podcast then.
1: So, um, yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And um, that, I mean, that's one of the reasons I started a podcast during COVID mm-hmm. was specifically because zoos were closing and stuff. And I knew, hey, this can connect people to animals. And yeah. if you can't see them or whatever, you can still learn about them and stuff. And so let's take a minute to do that now with, uh, tell me about the porcupines that we saw today.
0: Yeah. Um. So the the collection that we have right now, we have two... Uh, we have a breeding pair, a male and a female, Jake Quillenhall, um, and Macaulay Quilkin. Uh, we added that last name. She originally came in just Macaulay. Um, uh, and what does Macaulay mean? Uh, Macaulay is Swahili for little fire um, or, or something like that. Uh, something similar
1: to that. So just so I understand, this, this is Porcupine. This mm-hmm. is a beautiful girl. Had this really wonderful appropriate name yeah. that was all about her passion and mm-hmm. honored her and and you turned it into a pun on a celebrity yeah well done i'm yeah. very proud of you thank right you now. very that, much yeah that really fits the whole rossafari ethos very yeah. much so glad nice somebody <laughs> appreciates that
0: <laughs> yeah i uh, because i i also like to say um uh jake quillenhall's brother was uh dave charpell um that was an answer on who wants to be a millionaire i guess one time nice um and then his sister was wanda spikes so yeah <laughs> don't lose the fun in our job.
1: (laughs) That's awesome. I love that so much. But yeah. So so tell me about these guys.
0: Yeah. So, uh, they've already had, um, one, uh, one litter, two girls. Um, uh, they, unfortunately they were born, raised and grown up and shipped off to, um, another institution to be exhibit animals during the whole shutdown in that whole three months because they're big Guinea pigs and they, they grow up very quickly. Um, Right now is the season where we're working on. Uh, we believe Macaulay is is pregnant now, um, so they are strictly exhibit animals. Nocturnal Cape um, crested porcupines or Cape porcupines. Um, we do a lot of, um, like I said before, that more uh, behavioral husbandry role um, uh, that fits more into the contact keeper area operation is trying to get them um, more. Uh, Uh, with the public. Um, They're harness trained. Um, uh, We do a lot of um, uh, husbandry behaviors, um, uh, doing a lot of injection training and ultrasound training, um, open mouth behaviors for, for, um, Jake has a a tooth abscess issue. So um, they are, um, I'll say, uh, very different than how I worked with porcupines at Disney because we are very free contact probably similar to a lot of other zoos. Um, And we try to push um, that guest engagement as much as possible. Um, Jake is incredible when it comes to when we're able to have um, events again. Um, He's harness trained to walk with the public. And we're also trying to get him to walk without a leash as well, because he figured out how to get out of it anyways. (laughs) Uh, So we're just adept. That's fine. Um, uh, But he had a – we have trained him – to stand and sit on a platform. Um, and the, I think we did this, this time last year with a special needs school group that he sat on the platform and I gave a, a carrot skewer to all the special needs kids and they came by and, and were able to feed him. So that is, is kind of the, um, the epitome of what contact tries to do. Um, uh, we have cool exhibits and when they're not doing anything or not technically working, they're in the exhibit and then we, try to pull them out as much as possible. And Jake is a rock star at, at that kind of stuff. I couldn't expect anything anything better. And he's also a good um, good uh, animal to teach others how to train as well because he is so motivated. He's so comfortable. Um, he, he has built a relationship with us very strongly. So new people are just like, oh, cool, a new friend. Let's do it.
1: Nice. That's awesome. Um, while we're talking about Jake, tell me about – I didn't realize how many different kinds of quills they have. So just, just talk yeah. about that for a second.
0: Um, uh, yeah, they do have um, all types of specialized quills, more the, the crested porcupines, the North American porcupines as well. And then um, I've worked with spiny-tailed porcupines. or I, I usually call them that, but I don't think that's what their actual name is. Um, uh. uh The cape-crested or the cape-and-crested porcupines, Asian-crested, African-crested, they have um, uh, crest quills. They have body quills. They have – I call them business quills. um, (laughs) uh, uh, And then they have tail quills as well. So they're all specialized. Um, The body quills are obviously along the body. They're not very sharp. They're still very rigid. Um, uh, uh, then they have the crest quills, very flexible, actually feels like feels like hair if you were to feel it. Um, and it goes all the way down, gives them that big mohawk all the way down to their tail. Um, and then the other flexible quills along their, their back that make them look bigger because they have to be able to look bigger for all their bigger predators like lions, hyenas, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and then... Uh, inside um underneath those other quills are those those really thick really really sharp very rigid you were to cut them open i like to i have a couple cut open for some guests to see like how spongy they are inside which is pretty oh, cool nice that's cool um and then the tail quills the rattle quills they don't really um uh shed those very often which is pretty cool um it's it's like treasure when you find it but it's um it's looks like a hair follicle and then um uh, like a really thin plastic bell um on the end of it and it's on the very tip of their tail and they rattle it it sounds like a rattlesnake to to be loud and demonstrative and scare uh their their animals away it's they're very cool looking i'm trying to work on getting them to um do it on on a cue but it's a little bit more difficult. He only does it when he's scared. So
1: okay, and so that. it's like positive reinforcement for a negative behavior yeah. is tricky. Yeah, it yeah, is. That makes sense. That it makes is. Sense.
0: Maybe I can figure it, figure some manipulation out, but who
1: knows? <laughs> <laughs> very cool. And of course, you know, I know you phrase it that way um, to be humorous, but all of the training that you do is voluntary. The animals yes. can walk away, and they are um, exhibiting natu- natural behaviors and um, are very very
0: well rewarded for it yes uh, absolutely he,
1: jake was going to town and, yeah yeah and i loved when he just pushed the apple away and was like what is this i don't crap? want Give this me he usually else. does it with
0: care he hates carrots <laughs>
1: <laughs> very cool and then um i'm curious so since you have the two and since they are a, a pair um do you ever train them together or do you work one-on-one and
0: um we don't we only do it one-on-one um it is um uh how do i put this nicely for him, Um, he loses a lot of focus very easily. And um, Macaulay is a lot faster than he is, so it would kind of turn into fighting more than anything else. So we do separate them. Um, Originally, when we trained jake it was him and his brother um and his brother would um act very aggressively towards food so we kind of just did that just so we can feed them Mm -hmm. and make sure he was getting food and we built off of that um macaulay is not a good animal to train new trainers um because she is so fast you have to be comfortable and very fast with what you're doing so if they were together that wouldn't go very right well makes sense all. set them up for success as much as possible cool
1: that's awesome and uh does macaulay sit there quietly and comfortably while you work with, with absolutely jake and-
0: not <laughs> would you <laughs> no actually macaulay is the loudest one out of the bunch um uh, she does paw at the and that's on, on the zoom that we did earlier um uh, as i'm sitting there talking about jake she's making letting everybody know that she's there waiting for her turn You can't forget about Macaulay. (laughs) You cannot.
1: (laughs) And um, so I'm curious, since you use food for um, rewards (laughs) – um, does that mess with their overall diet? Are you restricting them in any way?
0: No, they get any, anything that they like. Um, uh, we obviously do look into the, um, nutritional basis of it. Uh, we want to give them something that they would have naturally. Um, I'm not super into giving them, um, extra treats and rewards like, you know, Cheerios or, or, or anything like that. I typically do have them work for their diet cause they're going to get it anyways. Um, with, a uh, uh You know, an herbivore, it's kind of, you don't really need to weight manage as much, Um, you know, outside of, you know, big host stock keepers. That's a completely different argument, but I don't have to weight manage him or or Macaulay too much. So I just kind of give him stuff until... Um, I'm done. And then obviously they're still going to want more. So I just kick him out, give them stuff and run away. (laughs) Um, but, um, we also did, um, I'll mention the civet, um, uh, with the carnivores, um, you kind of do have to weight manage a little bit. And again, I'm still going to, um, use their diet for work because I mean, I'm working for my food too, so he can as well. Um, uh, but I do watch his weight, um, a lot more closely.
1: Makes sense. And if, um, I guess the point that I was trying to get at uh, with this was that if um, somebody doesn't want to work that day, you're, you're still going to feed your animal. I'm yes. just, I just want that to be clear to anyone who is listening oh, yeah. that um, basically all of the animals, if they figured out that um, you were just giving them their diet anyway, could just decide to never train again and you they would still get all the same food.
0: Yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, and and that's one thing. Yeah, they definitely could. Some people have figured that out too. Um, uh, uh, yeah. And that's, and that's kind of, a thing with him and his personality, we're able to do that. Um, if we weren't able to do that, we would uh, change our tactics with him um, uh, to be able to get him as much food as he needs, but then still get what we need to do as well. Right, of course. Yeah, that's awesome. So you mentioned the civet, and that's mm-hmm. where we were going
1: to go next. But um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that a lot of people listening here don't even know what a civet is. Yeah. So let's, like, really start at civet 101. Okay. Um, I'm sure that's a class
0: you took at some point. And uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> just uh, explain what a civet is. It's an online class that I took at one point. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so uh, we have, um, I believe, 11 banded palm civets. So um, uh, civets are – I, I am not a, a civet expert so fact check me later um uh, civets are um tree cat species um uh, they are not weasels they're not cats they're their own thing um uh, from africa and asia um a lot of them are um tree or um uh ground hunting carnivores a lot of the larger species the african species um and uh the Asian species are typically uh, tree climbers hunting trees and things like that. So um, I kind of explained to guests they are kind of like a cat and they're kind of not. Uh, <laughs> and and he acts just like the same. Um, I, I guess to, to sum that up, I used to work with otters and I tried to train them the same way because oh, they look and kind of act like otters do. They just don't go in the water. Uh, they – you can't do the same thing with them at all so they are not anything close to that so they they're their own thing um the banded palm civets are um critically endangered species from nepal and, and and that general area around the himalayas um and they are critically endangered in the wild because they are used for um uh, coffee um, harvesting or, or things like that. So they're, um, actually in some countries, um, this sounds disgusting. So bear with me. Um, uh, in some countries they, um, uh, catch them from the wild, put them in cages and force feed them. These, um, cherry coffee is what it, I guess what it's called. And then they harvest their feces and then make coffee out of their feces. Um, so that obviously isn't the greatest thing you're affecting the, the wild ecosystem while doing this disgusting habit, um, and drinking poop. And, so yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those of you who, who purchased that, you're drinking poop. <laughs> Think about that. Um, uh, so that's one big educational piece while people are, are seeing them is, is know where your coffee is coming from. Obviously that, that can, um, uh, be a lot of different facets. Um, they're also affected by the palm oil and things like that, palm oil harvesting. Um, uh, he, Kasai is the male that that you saw train. Um, he was um, hand-raised for education. So um, from my understanding is there is uh, 13 in the United States, I believe. Um, they're a nocturnal. And they make awful exhibit animals. Um, why we have exhibit animals is to, like I said before, start with education, educate these um, guests um, with these animal ambassadors, ambassadors for the same species that you would see out in the wild. Um, well, if they make terrible exhibit animals and they're in um, our collection, how are we going to educate these, these people about this cool animal um so we attempted to um hand raise um kasai and his sister um camille who is now a breeding female someplace else uh and use him as a educational animal to be able to build that relationship with them um it's taken a while um uh, uh, but i think kind of close from what you, from what you've seen yeah no i mean he, he was
1: very inquisitive and very um yeah, he seemed amazing. He seemed yeah. really into it all. Um, definitely cautious. Ran, yes. ran back into the crate a lot, but that, like you said, is a natural behavior. Yeah. Um, normally civets will run into their like run up a tree and and hide in the uh, mm-hmm. the leaves and stuff. So yeah, that that makes sense. I mean, yeah. I think it's important for people to realize that like you know running back into a crate can still be a natural behavior, mm-hmm. even though there aren't crates in the wild. But yes. Yeah. No. Totally. Yeah. Um, and I think something like that's really cool. Um, yeah. So
0: why are they not good exhibit animals? uh they're nocturnal um uh, they're also very small um i personally think i'm um, being biased i think kasai would be pretty good uh, on an exhibit um but i uh, have a very consistent um structure when it comes to training him um i uh train him i try to do it in between 10 and 2 um obviously with covid that kind of has messed that consistency up but i train him for his entire meat diet uh, and then I give him his filler food, um, uh, things to clean his teeth and keep him full if he's still hungry, like sweet potato and cat food. Um, and then I give him enrichment at that point as well. And typically after training, he enjoys it quite a bit. So he'll, um, start to play with enrichment for a couple of hours. Um, uh, but then I have, we have, um, synthetic pouches for all the baby kangaroos that we have. I hung up, one in there for them, for him. As soon as he's done, he just goes right back into that pouch and <laughs> and sleeps until tonight.
1: And he, he's not a marsupial; he just sleeps in a pouch.
0: <sighs> yes, and that's okay. just this is what I had at the time.
1: Yeah, no, and that that's amazing. <laughs> very cool. Very cool. I love that. Um, yeah, that was uh, that was a
0: really cool experience. Yeah,
1: seeing him and meeting him, and um,
0: I don't think I've ever seen I, I've definitely never seen a civet
1: up close before. So that was, that was yeah, very cool.
0: him and his sister, are my first ones too. Um, like I said I I did a lot of um. Of uh, uh enrichment and monitoring how he manipulated his enrichment and his environment to be able to figure out okay what can I what how does he naturally perceive the world or or try to get these reinforcers and then just use that and train that. Like I said, I tried to train him just like an otter. At um, previous institutions, we trained otters to, you know, uh, pick up a boomer ball in their hands, walk with it in their back legs, and then dunk it in a in a bowl. <laughs> uh, otters are are super playful and dexterous with their hands, so they can do that. Um, I noticed after a couple of weeks that kasai um he would only just snipe snipe stuff with his nose like headbutt stuff constantly all right well let's get you to push some stuff with your nose so um you guys saw i i'm working on getting him to uh retrieve a a plastic duck um he he pushes it with his nose and brings it to me and things like that so yeah this is all natural behaviors just kind of use some tools to make people understand it a little bit better
1: yeah no it totally makes sense and yes that's right uh, as, as as he said um my morning definitely included watching a palm civet uh, play with a rubber ducky so it's
0: not, a, not a bad way to start your day I'm not gonna lie yeah, not gonna and you'll lie. remember me because of it
1: yeah. <laughs> absolutely um So, uh, before we move on, uh, from Kasai, um, you know, so much of training and keeping is adaptability, Mm -hmm. and every animal is different, and every situation is different. Uh, and so you told me a story about adaptability with, uh, with this (laughs) food situation. So go ahead and share that with the
0: audience. Yeah. Um, so I, I took this, this learning that I, I, um, I learned from NEI when we were doing all the, uh, birds of prey, um, all the owls and, and things like that, uh, they don't really eat intestines and it kind of slows them down during training. Um, and then it's just more for me to clean up later. So I started, um, when, I, when we first started, he was on whole um, breeder mice um, and I would cut them up. I would gut them and feed him. We since switched to um, uh, fuzzies and pinkies for him um, uh, for health reasons, teeth, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I, um, stopped gutting them and randomly he would start like the fuzzies. He would, he would bite it and be reinforced and, and like throw it up and, and spit it out. Like, Oh, this tastes disgusting. All right. Well, that's just more for me to clean later. So let me gut them. Um, so I started gutting them and I noticed, um, uh, there were, uh, some of them looked different inside than others um and then some days again I- I'll blame my laziness here on covid um it's up for you to decide but some days i wouldn't <laughs> uh I wouldn't gut them um and then he would act the same again uh he would kind of spit some of them out but not all of them so I thought that was weird and um our vice president um was down watching a training session I kind of asked him I was like as I was gutting them I saw there was this white bladder sack in some of the mice and he goes oh yeah that's rotten milk that's that's so he was um uh, tasting in some of those um uh, tasting that and spinning it out and then that reinforcer turned into something negative and then he'd completely lose interest so and why was there
1: milk sour milk in a, in
0: a in yeah a what, so what? so the fuzzies are are um a different stage of a baby mouse so most likely what happened was those um uh, uh this topic obviously isn't for the faint of heart uh they probably um nursed for mom uh and then very soon after it got euthanized were gassed for feeding uh and then just still had that what they ate in their stomach and it got gross and he didn't like it. So it literally went sour, like in them
1: before that's, yeah, that's amazing. Gross. And you, you found that and you figured that out and now you yeah. just cut it out
0: and I just cut it out. And then, yeah. Amazing. Um, and then he, he, he trains. Yeah. yeah no amazing.
1: Problem. That's awesome. <laughs> very, very cool. I love that. Um, as, as gross as it is. I love that. <laughs> so, uh, are there any other animals here that you want to mention or talk about, or maybe like a favorite?
0: Oh yeah. Um, uh, our kangaroos, um, the effort that we've put towards them um, have have been very rewarding. Um, uh, we do voluntary pouch checks with all of our females, and that's been a very collaborative effort and um, something that I'm very proud of as a um, lead keeper and a trainer is to be able to not only um, create this um, new type of um training um but then also teach other people how to succeed with it as well um so i've i've been pretty pretty happy with the team with that um and uh we have on our website a we did a blog at some point i haven't actually seen it on the website but i saw the uh when when our education and marketing department were working on it um a video and a picture time lapse of one of our oldest joeys um in the pouch we took weekly pictures of them nice. so we were able also we were able to voluntarily um station our kangaroo um all of our females uh second trainer goes in opens the pouch and takes weekly pictures on that that's that's super cool only stuff you see in, in textbooks
1: right right that's amazing
0: yeah and and the the ability for us to do that a lot of it happened this time last year, um, last summer. Um, but we were able to, uh, increase it and ramp it up obviously during COVID and, um, a good, uh, aftermath with that, with all of those training is now that the kangaroos are more comfortable with guests as well. So it's a, a better interaction education piece with them as well. We do it in front of guests. We all that kind of stuff. It's super fun. Very cool.
1: Love that. Hey Zoe, did I miss anything? You're all into behavior stuff.
0: Hi. Uh,
2: hi. Um, so from a veterinary perspective, yes. I would love to hear more about how you interact with the vet team here in mm-hmm. terms of like what behaviors you train and how you train them.
0: Yeah. Um, uh, it is a one thing knowing on both sides, it's a 100% partnership. Um, uh, uh, we see things um, a specific way. A lot of people with pets and things like that will say the same thing. Obviously we're around them a lot, but we're not a vet. Um, uh, what I think makes us good at our job and, and vets good at their job is how easy we can make it for each other, right? Um, so one thing that I can control with that is um, those husbandry behaviors, relationships, um, and train these animals to be able to visit the vets and do those types of um, radiographs and um, manipulation or... or um, uh, palpations or anything like that as easy as possible. Um, it is a lot of, um, uh, give and take. Um, I, I guess, uh, not to say, you know, too much with any situation or any event that I've worked with in the past, cause I've worked with a lot. Um, but understanding that my s- most stressful thing that is happening today isn't necessarily the most stressful thing that is ever happening today. Um, uh, And being a vet, you deal with way more stressful things than I can really ever understand. So um, it is a lot of grace on on both sides, if that answers that question as vague as possible.
2: I'm not sure if this is a podcast question. This is more just a me question. Yeah. But I'd love to hear, since you have worked at so many different institutions Mm -hmm. with different people, like what are qualities in vet teams that you've worked with that you've really liked or really not liked?
0: Um. uh, that's a oh heavy question. Um, I, I I will say um, every those who have worked at a lot of different zoos or or even a lot of different companies doing the same job, each each zoo has its own um, priorities list. Mm-hmm. Each zoo has its own strengths and weaknesses. Um, uh, I am an Incredibly adaptable person, just in general, in my own life, let alone here. Um, but I'm also very opinionated, and I kind of have to rein that in a little bit as well. Um, but uh, other institutions that I've worked at have been, um, have had those different priorities. Mm-hmm. Um, working at Disney and some of the larger companies, they are very fixed to that chain of command. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and vets and managers typically talk to each other, not specifically vets and keepers. Mm-hmm. Whereas the wild, wild west of Nashville Zoo, we kind of just talk to uh-huh. whoever we want. And it's super cool as long yeah. as everyone knows what's going on mm-hmm. and you can pass that information. Um, I'll have to say the year that the, a little under a year that i was at omaha i think i had an interaction with the vet once oh, um and then um so i guess chain of command changes that a lot yeah. but um you get less of that at a smaller at a smaller company but it is always good to have you know that that face time with them mm-hmm. um yeah disney I, Disney's so glaring in my mind because it's just so so unique with that question because they have vets that are specialized in reptiles and then vets that are specialized in fish. Mm-hmm. And then you you don't typically get that yeah. many other places. there probably are out there. I, I just don't have experience with them. Yeah. Um, but some of the best um, vet teams that I've worked with are um, having that okay, yeah, we have this work to get done, but It's easier when we work together, when, when we, when we, um, I'm the specialist in this, you're the specialist in this, how can we help each other out? Those are, those are the most successful interactions I've ever had. Mm -hmm. And sometimes our job is very emotional. And uh, when you make decisions out of, off of emotion, it makes it sometimes hard to do. Mm -hmm. But again, that grace comes in. You guys have a lot more education than I do on a lot of things. So I'll let you make decisions.
2: Yeah, but you guys also, like, as keepers, are the ones working with the animals every day and seeing those behavior changes. So yeah. I know my favorite thing in zoo medicine is that you have keeper staff that is so invested in the animals. Yes. Versus in private practice, when you're working with pets, it's very hit or miss. Like, yeah. does this pet parent know what they're doing at all? Yeah. But in keepers, like, you pretty much all know what you're doing and uh-huh. you know your animals really well. Man, so.
0: I, I love when a vet hears that. Yeah. And <laughs> play that again and listen to that again. Yeah. <laughs>
1: All right. All right, and now it is time for the raw safari poop story. Hit me.
0: Um, All right. So uh, at Disney, um, uh, I get get this question a lot. A lot of other people will probably chime in and have their opinion as well. But grossest poop, in my opinion, in the animal world, is anteater and otter poop. Um, uh, Yeah, you guys are shaking your head like you agree with me. Uh, So um, these otters are disgusting. Uh, Thankfully, they're a latrine pile, um, but uh, also could be kind of bad um i had my first pair of ray-bans i ever got i had them on the top of my head as i was going to clean their latrine pile and these ray-bans you know far too expensive uh for a zookeeper to ever own uh and they dropped right in the otter poop and i like i still have them But I still think about that every time (laughs) I I put them on. I disinfect it and everything, but I still feel like I can smell it (laughs) every time I put it on.
1: All right. Thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Yeah.
0: Thanks for coming by.
1: Well, that was fun. Don't forget that you can check out the Nashville Zoo on Instagram, at Nashville Zoo, or hit up NashvilleZoo.org to find all of the cool things you expect from a zoo website. Also, I'm not a big fan of New Year's resolutions, but if you are, you should resolve to share Rasafari with some new friends in the new year. Or old friends in the new year. Any, any friends in the new year. Okay, here come those styderks. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Safari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rasafari, on the web at rasafari.com, or email me directly at rasafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.